Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And we are back after the uh, impressive win against Western um, the other night to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse to play Butler, Rod. Uh, in the Gavit games, um, Butler's coming into this one 3-0. and um, And MSU is 1-0 and in the event uh, with the the one win coming in 2019 over Seton Hall. Um and so the Bulldogs are coached by former uh, Michigan assistant Laval Jordan. Um, and so far they've won against IUPUI by nine. Uh, they beat Central Arkansas by 32 and then an 11-point win this weekend over Troy. Uh, so what's your, what's your thoughts coming into this one against Butler? Well, th- those wins aren't tremendously impressive. The, the IUPUI and the, and the Troy game, I've I believe they trailed at the half. If not, it was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a caveat to that. So I'll go through first what they've actually done, and then we'll get to the caveat. In the early going this year, they've struggled with turnovers. And if you think Michigan State has struggled with turnovers, you don't know the definition of that word. Um, <laughs> yeah. Michigan State, I think, is around the 17 18% mark, which means – simply the number of turnovers they have which end in a or number of possessions they have which end in a turnover. Butler is at almost twenty four percent. So that's almost oh a Lord. quarter of their possessions have ended in a turnover. That's what struggling means. Uh, <laughs> now, in contrast to that they've actually shot the ball well both overall and from three and they're at about forty percent from three as a team, a little over that actually. And that comes with slightly over half their total shots coming from outside the arc. So that represents a pretty significant increase over last year. Last year's Butler team did not shoot well. Mm -hmm. Defensively, and it's weird for a – you know, when I think Butler, in my mind, I still go back to their peak years under Brad Stevens, which it's hard to believe is a decade ago now. Um, But even after he left, you know, when uh, when Chris Holtman was there, they they kind of had a, a their, their their standards, their style of play didn't change that dramatically. They've been consistently a very tough defensive team. Uh, this group so far, they've really had problems against the two. They've been okay against threes, but you know, as we talk about fairly frequently on this podcast, at least in terms of the percentage that you're giving up. That's not necessarily a reliable number. I think if you get to the end of a season and you're giving up a very low percentage from three, maybe there's a little something to it. But the part that's considered to be controllable is attempts, not percentage success. Whereas two-point shots, it's absolutely about what you can do to limit the opponent's success. And Butler has not been great so far. That's been a problem. Um, 
one thing that is consistent across the years is that Butler plays a glacially slow pace, and this year's team is no exception. Right now, there are only three teams in the country that are playing slower than Butler in all of D1. That's wow. how slow they are. Uh, one of those teams is Virginia, by the way. They're the <laughs> slowest team in the country thus far, so not a shocker. Um, what that's going to mean is, I think, in part, if you're hoping that Michigan State continues to run with the frequency that they have in their first two games, it's probably not going to happen. Usually teams that play a very slow pace tend to win that battle, mm-hmm. you know. So we'll, we'll get into what that means for MSU, but um, I, I would not anticipate this being a game with a ton of possessions and going up and down the floor. It's unlikely. This is a very experienced team. They return 92% of the minutes played by last year's team back to this roster. Now, some of those guys are in different roles. They've got one guy hurt who's not going to play in this game. Um, you know, but, but still, suffice it to say, it's an experienced team. Four guys on the roster, in fact, are in super senior seasons. So it's even more experienced than you might think normally by looking at a roster and seeing senior, 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 senior. A lot of these guys are actually fifth-year guys. Mm-hmm. So very experienced team, which no, which makes, at first blush at least, it makes the turnover thing really hard to understand. You would not expect that from an experienced group, right? Yeah. But there there is a reason. Uh, the big part, this is the caveat to all of what I or a lot of what I've said thus far, at least in regard to the turnovers. They played their first three games without their super senior returning starting point guard, Aaron Thompson. He sat out the first three games due to an undisclosed violation of team rules, that old old saw. We don't know <laughs> what he did, but he sat out those three games. He's going to be back for MSU, supposedly. Uh, when, we'll talk about his career numbers, but it's safe to assume that he should be able to improve them from where they've been at least this season pretty dramatically. Uh, the guy who replaced him is a freshman who, quite frankly, has had an absolutely horrendous start as a, as a playmaker. Uh, his uh, assist-to-turnover ratio is uh, I be- very close to 1-3, to three, which is not good. Not 3-1, to 1-3 one, one to three, uh, from your point guard. So I would expect that they're going to be at least a little better than they've been to date. But it's the guy's first game back, so you don't know how that's all going to fit. And, you know, the the problems do go beyond one player. So um, it'll be interesting to see in any event how this changes Butler from what they've been in those first three games, positively and negatively. Uh, Yeah, so you mentioned Thompson, 6'2", senior. Um, but he only played 14 games last year, due, mostly due to injury, um, yep. and they struggled without him. Uh, four and seven in games he missed, because uh, he was averaging 10.4 points a game, 52 from the floor, only 20 from three, but uh, and 53 from the line. Uh, but he did average 4.7 assists a game, and a little over two to one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah, over his over his career, a little over two one. Uh, that's the thing. You know, I, I mentioned Thompson should help. And, and look, if you're a guy who's you're talking about a guy who over his career is a little over two to one versus a, a kid who's been one to three thus far, well, that, that's an improvement, right? 
Yeah. But Thompson, he's an interesting player. Uh, Butler's offense is heavy pick and roll, and and he's a guy who they like a lot as a decision maker. The problem is that 20% mark from three, and, and it's not like that was a huge outlier in his career. I don't think he's ever broken 30. Mm-hmm. So you're really talking about a guy who struggles historically to hit the three. And so maybe he's gotten better, but you would think a guy's in his fifth year, if it was going to happen, it probably has, would have happened by now. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's an issue because if your point guard can't make people pay with the jumper, it's hard to be a great pick-and-roll offensive team, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because he's not a threat. So, you know, opponents likely would be very tempted to just shack him and let him take a 15-foot jumper if he wants it. Now, now, very rarely you've seen exceptions. I go back to Xavier Simpson, especially in his sophomore season and even his junior season to some extent at Michigan, where he really struggled with his shot, although, frankly, I don't think he was ever as bad as 20%. Mm-hmm. But he was sub-30, and he was still really effective. That's a rarity. That is that is very, very rare to have that kind of weakness as a point guard in pick and roll and still be able to make it work at a high level, even though you don't have a jumper to rely on. So it's going to be interesting to me to watch Thompson play because their offense has been heavy pick and roll in the past. You know, he's he's obviously gotten some things done. He's a good finisher in, inside. You know, 52% for a guard is a great number. Yeah. So maybe he does have a little bit of Xavier Simpson in him. But uh, that's going to be something to watch. I'll be interested to see how Michigan State plays him. And I'll be interested to see how he functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they got Chuck Harris, a 6'2 sophomore, um, averaging 15.7 points a game. Uh, after 12.9 points as a freshman, shooting 47, 39, and 74. Um, so, so far, he's been kind of the go-to player for them. Yeah, for sure. He's he's a, a kid that's gotten some preseason All-Big East kind of recognition. Not first team generally, but a guy that probably is expected to be one of the 10 or 15 best players in that conference this year. He's clearly – he's their leading scorer right now. He was a very effective scorer as a freshman. His shooting numbers this year are in line with what he did last season, so they probably aren't fluky. Uh, you know, he's the guy that they're going to look to, I think, as their leader offensively and, and mm-hmm. seems to be their, their quote-unquote best player. I don't know if he's their most important, though, because, again, I go back to those turnover numbers, and it makes me think that Aaron Thompson may actually be that guy, even if though he has flaws. Uh, but but Harris is going to be a big part of what they do this year. Uh, and then Jaden Taylor, 6'4", freshman from Indianapolis, who was third on the team in scoring, 13.3 points a game. Um, but he struggled a little bit early with the deep ball, 27% um, from three this year. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that um, he's uh, he's starting because, again, they they returned some guys. Um, you know, their second leading scorer right now is a super senior we'll get to named Jair Bolden. Uh, could have expected him to start. You know, there's some other guys, but they've opted to go with Taylor. So there must be something 
that uh, Laval Jordan likes in him. And, and the scoring numbers are good. It's just that sub-30% from three on a team that's otherwise shot the ball pretty well from out there. Um, you know, they I'm sure they think he's going to improve the shot. But, uh, you know, gives them a little better size at 6'4". You know, mm-hmm. other, the other two guys, 6'2 and 6'2". When you line them up against Michigan State starting perimeter group, Butler's going to be giving up a lot of size. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Taylor is at least 6'4 is helpful. Uh, and then Bryce Enzi, uh, 6'7", 235-pound super senior, averaging 8.3 3 points a game, uh, leads him in rebounding, 7.3 rebounds a game, and he averaged 11, just over 11 points last year and 7.7 7 rebounds last year. Shooting 38, 33, and 55. Yeah, um, he's been better than that from three in his first two seasons at Butler. He was a plus 40% guy each year, so they definitely see Enzi as a stretch guy. He hasn't been quite as good in their first three games this season, but he's an important guy because this is, for starters, this is not a big team. So no. anybody with any semblance of size is important. At six seven two thirty five, he's got that. Not a super athlete, not a rim protector, and so he's not an explosive athlete, but he's able to use his size to be effective at, at at least some of the big man things they need him to do, most notably rebounding. Um, and then again, if he can get that that perimeter shot going a little bit more along his career lines, they'll be in they'll be in good position with him as the starting four man. Uh, and then down low, Bryce Golden. Uh, 6'9", 245-pound senior, averaging five points a game, three rebounds in 20 minutes. Yeah, you know, it, it's he's he's a starter, but, but only nominally because he's, he's only averaging 20 minutes a game, as you said, and all his numbers are down from last year. Last mm-hmm. year he averaged 27 minutes a game, 10.4 points, 4.7 rebounds. So his scoring is – fallen in half. And again, it's early. It's only three games. Plenty of time for this to turn around. But the minutes played is what's interesting to me um, because it's not like they added a superstar new big man via transfer or anything like that. Um, So I I find it curious. He, again, a team that's not very big, 6'9", 245, and with experience, he brings something to the table. Um, so far, he's shooting 60, 40, 50. Uh, he's never shot anywhere nearly that well from deep, and he's only taken five, and he's hit two thus far. So I'm not quite ready to anoint him as a uh, a floor stretcher. <laughs> uh, but whatever, he's he's been okay thus far, so I'm sure he needs to be cognizant of that. And at the very least, you would think he'll provide a physical presence inside, which you know they'll they'll likely need in this game and and during the course of their season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so coming off the bench, Jair Bolden, super senior, fourteen point three points a game, um, and he's twenty three minutes off the bench, so he's playing quite a bit. Yeah, good player. You know, he started last year, and it looks to me, I mentioned being kind of surprised that they're going with a freshman in Taylor over Bolden, mm-hmm. and then you look. And Bold's production, you know, 14.3 points a game, 59% from the floor, 59% from three on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. 
and 100% at the line, you say, well, geez, that's kind of strange. But I, I have to assume Lavelle Jordan knows his team, and he's looking at Bolton as a guy who can be an igniter for them off the bench. And we know Tom Izzo does this oftentimes um, over the years where he's he's actually held a guy back who in terms of production and uh, offensive capability looks like he should probably be a starter and uses him as a reserve because he likes the way the rotations flow. That that might be what's going on with Bolden. Um, mm-hmm. This is a kid who's got big-time talent, though. He, he was – a multi-year player at South Carolina before he transferred in last year for Butler. And, uh, you know, it's the shooting is interesting. Last year he was 34 and 34. So the early going, he's much, much better than that. But he was a plus 40 guy from three in his last year at South Carolina. So I don't know. I, he's not going to shoot 59% from three on the year. But for him to be really good from out there, that might not be an outlier. It might be that last year was just an off year and he's kind of returning to form. But definitely a guy Michigan State is going to need to watch, you know. Uh, I would say in their perimeter group, certainly he and Harris are the two guys that scare you the most. Yeah. Uh, and then Ty Gross, a 6'8", 220-pound transfer from Eastern Michigan, um, who's a Gypsy native, uh Averaged 5.5 points a game and three and a half rebounds in about 15 minutes so far in the early going here. Yeah, you know, different role. At Eastern, he was their main guy, and he averaged 15 mm-hmm. points a game for them. Uh, he's not going to play that role here. You mentioned he's only playing about 15 minutes. Uh, so what we're talking about is a guy who can play some three, probably mostly four on this team. Um, and he'll be expected to fill a role, you know, eat up some minutes, give them some varied offensive production. Gross has always been able to shoot a little bit. He's big enough that he can bang around inside a bit as well. Uh, you know, I, th- I think his his spot on this team is as simply as that, as a guy who can help uh, eat up some reserve minutes and not hurt the team, give them a little bit of production in a variety of areas, but he's probably not going to ever be a major producer for this group. Mm. Uh, and then Seamus Lukosius, 6'6", freshman from Lithuania. Um, and he shot, well, 5.5 or five points a game on 42, 38, and 50, um, and five assists to 14 turnovers for Lukosius. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I feel for the kid. He's from Lithuania. He actually had kind of a similar experience to um, to uh, Franz Wagner at Michigan in that he played mm-hmm. in the German league. He played for a pro team, but he wasn't being paid. Uh, the curse that right now in in the current era that we're in, the curse that you have if you're European and you're 6'5 or above and you can handle the ball a little bit is that, you get labeled another Luka Doncic, right? Yeah. And there was a little bit, not that anybody was saying he was quite that, but there were some of those comparisons for this guy coming in. Very clearly, he's not there. But, and, and I, you know, they had no choice but to play him really at the point because the guy who was the backup last year, uh, Miles Tate, who's a sophomore, had an off-season ACL surgery He's not back yet. They do expect him back at some point, but it's unclear as to when. So right now, Lukosius 
I've had to be the guy in the first three games, and Butler has suffered immensely from that. <laughs> but now he doesn't have to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Thompson's back. So he could slide into a reserve role, and, you know, hopefully they can get him some time maybe off the ball a little bit and take, get a mental break. Uh, but it's it's been a struggle. I mean, 14 turnovers in three games, I don't care who you are. That's a boatload. Um, So clearly, and and again, not against great opposition either. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. he was, you know, Butler had some incredibly difficult start to the non-conference. They played three tomato cans. You know, you're supposed to be able to handle that. And that would be an indicator that this kid just isn't really ready for a lot of point guard minutes. But, you know, with Thompson back, as such an experienced guy, I would think that they're going to try to play Thompson, I would assume, in excess of 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, you know, with a pace Butler plays, he should be able to do that. And Lukosh is probably going to see his minutes go down considerably. Yeah. Uh, Miles Wilmot, 6'9", 220-pound sophomore, averaging 3.7 points a game, 3.3 rebounds in 19 minutes. Yeah, and his role, you know, this is the interesting thing to me. So his role has increased as Golden's has decreased. The 19 minutes a game is well up from where he was as a freshman. But I don't know that he gives them much in the way of differences, except he's not as big and strong. Mm. Uh, so I'm not, it'll be interesting to see. He doesn't have a rim protection element to his game, doesn't really look to be an athlete, not really a, a floor stretcher. Uh, I, I don't know what he gives them that's different from what Golden does as a more experienced and bigger player, but I, I guess we'll find out. He, it's definitely the case that they're more or less sharing that role, though. Mm-hmm. It's combined, uh, they're playing 39 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think Christian David, who was kind of an interesting deal, he was a more, uh, top 100 cr- recruit and just hasn't really panned out for Butler. Yeah, uh, you know, Butler doesn't get top 100 guys consistently. Very rarely. I mean, despite despite great coaches they've had. And, I mean, you can go back to Thad Mata in, mm-hmm. the, in the late 90s um, and just take it straight, straight through. Um, they've had great coaches there. But even so, they don't land top 100 guys regularly. Gordon Hayward was one and one of the few they've had, uh, and obviously played up to his billing and then some. Mm-hmm. Christian David, I, I only remember him uh, because at a certain point, Michigan was very heavily involved in his recruitment. He's an Ontario native, and it was in you know the, the lineage of you know the Nick Stauskas and the horrible Iggy kid they had after mm-hmm. him. You know, they, Beeline had built up something of a, an Ontario pipeline, and Christian David was a guy that they were very excited about. And obviously, as a top 100 recruit, he had he had impressed a lot of people. But he ended up at Butler, and it just hasn't happened for him. I mean, his minutes are down considerably this year, and and they weren't huge last season. He was like a 13, 14 minute a night guy, and he's not playing nearly that so far this year. I almost hesitated to even put him in this in this breakdown mm-hmm. because he sat out one of the games and the other two he's played like five minutes each. So I don't know what role he plays. He's a wing, about 6'7", 
um, has never really had anything you would label a particular strength during his time at Butler. So I'm not sure that I – I don't even know for sure that he'll play in this game. And if he does, I wouldn't expect it to be very much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, that should be about the players that we'll see. As for the keys, number one, uh, you mentioned it earlier, pick and roll defense. Yeah, they, they've been a heavy pick-and-roll team in the past, and, and with, so with Thompson back in the lineup, you'd expect they go back to that. Um, obviously, the first first thing you think about defensively and dealing with that is that your bigs have to be responsible. They have to be doing their job. It's going to be interesting to me to see how they play him. Uh, mm-hmm. MSU is generally not a team that shacks. You know, more often than not, and they'll vary it how hard they go, whether they go real hard, whether they feather it. Um, you know, but generally speaking, they're not a team with a big man. Just what I mean by shacking for, for those listeners who might not know, I would assume most do, but mm-hmm. uh, shacking is kind of the vernacular for when a big man goes under the pick and just stays in the lane, lets the guard essentially have a wide open shot mm-hmm. you know and you do that for a couple of reasons one you do it if you don't necessarily respect the guard as a shooter which might be the case here and two by doing that you're staying at home so that the role man your man the big man that you were guarding before the pick um, can't get loose and just post up your your guard with impunity you know, to, for an illustration of this, go back to the way uh, a few years ago when Michigan State swept Michigan and John <laughs> Beeline was still the coach there, and Cassius Winston would get switched onto Teske every single possession, and Michigan never made them pay for it in the post. <laughs> MSU was not shacking. And part of the reason they had to do that, you, you didn't worry about Simpson as a shooter, but you also didn't want Simpson – getting loose, just driving with impunity to the bucket. You know, so Xavier Tillman, who was often involved in it, would actually guard Simpson. Cash would be on their big man, and you kept waiting for Michigan to throw the ball in the post, and it never came. So Michigan State did not shack that. I don't know if they'll shack uh, this kid. Um, His reputation, his history as a shooter – might suggest that it would be an effective strategy. But, again, MSU doesn't do it very much. And the other thing is, even though he's a bad shooter, you look at the way he shot overall, and it might be that you want your big men at least making it tough for him to just penetrate down the lane out of those sets. Mm-hmm. So be interesting to see how MSU does it. You start with the way that the big men play. That's always the key. Um, and, and go from there. My bottom line is whatever you're doing, as long as you are keeping Butler out of the lane, that's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is Butler. It kind of depends on who's setting the picks. If it's if it's Enzi, well, he might be a legitimate pick and pop threat. Uh, you know, I mentioned with Golden, he's two for five on the season. I'm not sure that offsets a lifetime of sub thirty percent shooting. <laughs> but but it kind of depends who they're using to set those picks as to whether there's a legitimate pick and pop threat. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be something else to watch for. 
Uh, so the second key, pick your transition spots. Even though they're slow, there, there may be some opportunities here and there for MSU. Well, think about games that we're all very familiar with, Wisconsin, Purdue, mm-hmm. that kind of opponent. Um, you know that your opportunities are going to be very limited against those teams in transition. You you might even be able to count them in the single digits. You probably will count them in the single digits, the number of times you get loose. Uh, this should be a similar game. Butler plays a very slow pace anyway. Add to that the fact that uh, their head coach was at Michigan long enough as an assistant that unlike some other guys MSU will face in the non-conference, there's no excuse for him not knowing what MSU wants to do. And, I, and they've had a few days. I think they played their their third game on Saturday night, I think. Uh, so they will have had multiple days to get ready for MSU. And I would expect that Butler will be fairly well drilled in terms of prioritizing getting back in transition. All that said, the same rules apply as when we're, MSU was facing a Purdue or a Wisconsin. You still need to push, one, to make sure you're getting into your offense early enough. Mm. Two, you want to make that opponent expend mental and physical energy in having to get back. You don't want them to be able to just jog back and take it easy doing that. You want them to have to work. So even if you're not beating them down the floor, there's still a value in it. So Mm. that's what I'm going to be interested in more so than, you know, the number of times MSU gets a transition bucket. You want as many as you can because, generally speaking, you want to get easy points in games like this, right? Uh, And there will be some opportunities. We know that, but I I just wouldn't count on a lot. Uh, And then the third team, Walker, who's been a key in in the first two games, too. Um, We've seen improvement. Well, we first game through the second, and – yeah. Against Western, we did. And I, I saw an interview with him, uh, I think it was yesterday, where he was talking about sitting down with Izzo after the Kansas game and them watching tape together. And Izzo pointing out to him the opportunities he had to be a scorer that he didn't take advantage of and how they need him to do that, which is exactly what I'd expect Tom Izzo to say, because we've been saying it. He knows a lot better than we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, MSU can't be as as can't be anywhere close to being as good as they hope to be if Tyson Walker is passive. And I thought we saw some some signs of improvement against Western, but he's not all the way there yet. I would say he had one stretch about the last say six seven minutes of the first half in that Western game where he played the way they need him to play, mm-hmm. and then he came out started the second half had a wide-open jumper, which he referenced in this interview I read. Uh, He had a wide-open jumper on the baseline that he passed on, instead decided to to dribble into the middle of the lane, and it turned into a turnover, resulted in a turnover, Uh, all because he didn't take the shot that was available. And he knows it looking back at it. The trick is MSU needs Tyson Walker to be able to recognize all of this stuff real time. In that interview – he was referencing the fact that, you know, I've, I've said it looks to me like he's kind of fighting it mentally a little bit, trying to figure out where the where the line is for him. Yeah. 
And and in that interview, I think that's it, it buttressed the, that idea. I think it convinced, convinced me that I think I'm right about this. He mentioned how they took a lot of shots for Northeastern last year because he had to. He was their mm-hmm. best player. They needed him to take shots. And that a lot of those shots are shots he can't take at Michigan State. So I think what we're what we're seeing, what we're dealing with, is something that happens a lot at MSU when point guards come into the program. We're just used to it being in a freshman. Mm-hmm. They have to get reprogrammed, so to speak. They have to start to understand what's a good shot in this offense and what isn't, where is those expectations are for them, and and then be able to eventually play without thinking about it, just doing it. So. I mean, it's a good thing MSU had a full summer this year because I, if it had been like the COVID year, I don't know where Tyson Walker would be. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's got it. They need him to improve as fast as he possibly can in recognizing that. I understand he can't be going out there putting up 18 shots a night and, and going crazy. And he needs to be selective. But, man, when the opportunities are there, and they have been there, in these first two games, he has to take them. Against Western, he was four for seven from the floor. That's better. Still not good enough. I, I want to see, in my mind, not that you, you have a drop-dead must-be-this-number-of-shots-per-game necessarily game-to-game, game, but in my mind, he's a guy who needs to be taking double-digit shots. You know, if you figure that he's going to be, you know, somewhere in the 40s from the floor, you probably need to see him taking 10 shots because I think he needs to be a double-digit scorer for this team. One, because they need the point production. Two, if he's scoring that much, taking those kind of shots, he's a threat. Defenses have to account for him. It's going to open things up even more for his teammates, and that's really what we have to see. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Especially for Hauser. For Hauser, but for everybody, you yeah. know, Hauser Hauser is important because he's a he's a partner in their pick and roll stuff. He can do damage. They seem to have a good connection. So you want Joey to have even more room. Well, Tyson's got to be a threat in order to get that. So it really does matter. We're probably going to keep talking about it until we see sustained improvement and it's no longer an issue. And then we can just talk about you know how important it is that he continue to play really well. Right now, it's it's more about can Tyson Walker start to consistently be the guy they need him to be. Uh, so then the fourth key, contest shots. We know MSU has some work to do in terms of dribble containment. Very bad against Kansas. Biggest problem in that game, in my eyes, by a long shot. Much more so than the turnovers. Um, they were pretty good against Western, but because B. Artis White got hurt so early, not sure that was a legitimate test. This will be an interesting one. This is not a team filled with a lot of guys who are obviously great off the dribble, but I think Thompson as a point guard can test them in in ways that Western ended up not being able to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to be balanced. Again, Butler has shot the three very well thus far. You don't want to let these guys go crazy. But you've got to be able, it starts to me with keeping them out of the lane. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, and then the fifth key, unforced giveaways. I think given how bad both of these teams have been, that it's fair to say whichever team is worse in this area probably loses this game. <laughs> um, they've been among the worst in the country, Butler has. Way worse than MSU in turnovers. But, again, as we mentioned, Thompson was out. He's back now. You would expect improvement. The question is how much. Mm-hmm. Because even if he shaved 5%, off their off their turnover percentage, which is a huge number, they'd still be awful. <laughs> so it can't just be him. It's got to be a knock-on effect that everybody gets better, you know, and we'll see what kind of difference he makes. You know, last year they weren't great in that area either. They were a little better than MSU, not much. 17.3% of possessions were ending a turnover last year. So, again, I don't think Thompson automatically turns them into Bo Ryan, Wisconsin, or or into Brad Stevens Butler, for that matter. Not by a long shot. Mm-hmm. They're still going to make mistakes. So the question is, which team can do a better job at limiting uh, those mistakes? Because we know that neither team is going to put a lot of ball pressure on. So they're really going to be kind of unforced errors from from both that I think end up making the majority of what happens. And if either team has a significant edge there in terms of limiting their mistakes, I think that's going to be very, very big. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, this one's 7 o'clock Wednesday night on Fox FS1. Um, you know, any final thoughts heading into this one, Rob? This should be a little bit more of a challenge than Western. Uh, but probably oh, not quite absolute. up to uh, Tech Kansas for sure. No, no, no. But it's a, look. This is a this is a this is a difficult game. I mean, Butler was not great last year. They're expected to be better this year because, in part, because they're bringing so many guys back. Mm-hmm. And the feeling is, well, they got to be improved. They're they're kind of projected to be a middle of the pack Big East team, similarly to where MSU is projected to be, sort of in the middle group in the Big Ten. Uh, you're on the road playing at the historic building, Hinkle Field House. Uh, for those who don't know, this is the building that used to host the state championship game in Indiana high school basketball for years. And in fact, it's where they shot uh, the final, the championship game footage in the movie Hoosiers. So uh, it's a big deal. It's the kind of thing that Izzo will, will make a big deal out of, I would think. Um, just because of what Hinkle represents. And, and he's a guy who appreciates the history of the game. And this will be another, you know, another on the on the list to check off that they've played a game at Hinkle. But Butler has, you know, it's, a, it's an atmosphere that, from what I can tell, is similar to, you know, not in the same realm necessarily, but similar to places like Duke, where it's an old building, not huge, but the crowd is right on you, mm-hmm. and it ends up being a really effective home court advantage for them. So I expect it to be a challenging game, absolutely. This is not a great Butler team, it doesn't appear, but they've certainly got some guys that can play. And mm-hmm. you know, given that it's on the road, given that this is a Michigan State team still in progress, I think it represents a significant challenge. And when you look at the schedule the rest of the way, you know, you got Louisville coming into Breslin in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. 
I mean, that's a game you hope you'd win at home, but you know, mm-hmm. Louisville does not look to be great, but you know, they'll they'll be tough. And then you've got those three games uh in uh the Bahamas in what shapes up to be a pretty difficult field. So this one matters. And yeah. that's uh, in addition to the fact that like you know, you've got the games that we've come to expect are automatic Michigan State wins, like Oakland, for example. Oakland almost beat West Virginia in their opener. They lost by seven, and then they went on the road, and then they went into Oklahoma State and beat Oklahoma State. So is Oakland going to be the game that we normally expect it to be in terms of Michigan State? Not that it happens every year, but more often than not, they win that one with ease. Every once in a while, Oakland's pushed them, but they've never lost Oakland. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got a lot of games left on the non-conference slate that are challenging. So if you're Michigan State, you want to get games like this. You know, even if you don't think Butler is a great team, and they're not. I mean, I don't think anybody is looking at them right now as anything other than maybe a bubble candidate for the tournament, but given that it's on the road, given that they're a Big East opponent, so it's it counts as a high major game, um, you know, you, you want to get that win. So I do think it's important. It's also just important for Michigan State to play well, to continue to show improvement and, and start showing some continuity in those improvements. Yeah. I mean, it'll likely be a quad one win if they were to get it. I yeah, think. I would, I would uh, on the road, I think it's top 50 on the road? Yeah. Or no, top 75 in the road. Okay, in that case, it might be. Butler currently, not that it matters much in mid-November. Uh, last I looked, they were, which was yesterday, I think, they were 62 in Ken Palm. So how that's going to translate to the net, which is really what matters, hard to say. But that gives you at least a ballpark idea, meaning that they're, they're in that discussion to be a top yeah. 75 team. And you... If they truly are a mid-level Big East team, like fifth, sixth, uh, they probably would be in the top 75. You'd expect that. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll get the uh, post-reaction up after this one. Until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.